highest of heights to the depths of the sea. Because notice when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples to this place, this place called Gethsemane. And the name Gethsemane means literally an olive press. It's an olive press, an oil press where they would press olives. It's also the place where Jesus would be pressed beyond measure. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Jesus went from the city of Jerusalem and crossed the brook Kidron. This small stream was the drainage from the temple and would be reddish from the blood of thousands of Passover lambs. This would have been a vivid reminder to Jesus of his soon sacrifice. Once across the stream, Jesus and his disciples went to a familiar place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Here, Jesus would pray to the Father about his impending sacrifice. He made no attempt to hide from his enemies but went to the place where Judas would normally expect to find him. Now let's join Pastor Rob. Who are we seeking today? Are we seeking a Jesus that doesn't exist in the Bible? And let me suggest to you that there are many churches, many places in the world today where Jesus is, uh, where God's people are gathered, but they're worshiping a different Jesus. Because if it's not a Jesus of the Word of God, then it's a different Jesus altogether. And so therefore, we have to understand and believe what this says, what the Bible says. Not what the Book of Mormon says, not what the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures say, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, nor what anybody else says about God. This is whom God has revealed to us. He's revealed himself as much as he can here, and then he's also revealed himself to us in our hearts individually. And so this is really important that we understand who Jesus is. Because who we're seeking is a big deal. Because like I said before, people are seeking a Jesus of their own making. And so we have to be really careful today, because there are many Jesuses that are being worshipped. And not the biblical Jesus. And so let's read, we're just going to look at the first 18 verses, I'm sorry, the first 11 verses of chapter 18. Excuse me. But let's read it. Notice what, and again, uh, the setting of this, as has been since chapter 13, uh, Jesus is, uh, they were in the upper room, and now they're going to be making their way from the upper room in Jerusalem, and they're going to walk east, eastward, down through the, the Kidron Valley, where there is a, the, the, the lake, or the, not the lake, the stream, the, the river Kidron, the Kidron River. It's a small thing, stream. <laughs> and then they will go up to the Mount of Olives, to the east of the Temple Mount, where there was a garden. And so Jesus now is there after his 
prayer, remember we looked at that last week, um, John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he prayed not only for himself, but for his disciples, and also for those who would come to him through their word. And by the way, that's you and I. You and I are the result of that third section of prayer that Jesus prayed for. And did God answer that prayer? He did, because we're here, right? For all those who had come to Christ through their word, because Jesus received it, he gave it to his disciples, his disciples gave it to everyone else, and you and I are the beneficiaries of that same gospel. And it hasn't changed. There's no changing or revising of this. This is God put a stamp of approval, and I want to encourage you in that, because you can trust the word of God, because Jesus, and I'm getting off track here, but let me just run with this for a minute, because I want to encourage you to have faith in God. To have faith in his word. Jesus, when he quoted in the New Testament, he quoted the Old Testament. Most of the Old Testament he quoted from. He quoted from the book of the law. He quoted from the Psalms and even from the prophets. And Jesus had his hand upon the apostle Paul, who penned or received through inspiration and revelation two-thirds of the New Testament, and then the gospel writers who were eyewitnesses who walked with Jesus. So let me ask you, how, how, how much, can you, how much uh, confidence can you put in the Word of God now? When you've got Jesus quoting from the Old Testament, the New Testament be, being written by eyewitnesses and, God, uh, and men whom God spoke to specifically and directly through and visited them and confirmed his Word with many miracles and signs. No other Bible, no other holy book in the world can do that, can make that claim. And so therefore, we know that even the canonization process of all the scriptures, and they bring them all together, we have very much confidence because these are the things that Jesus put his stamp of approval on as it crossed his desk. He put in big red ink, approved, (laughs) approved. So have confidence in it. Amen? Okay, let's look at... Chapter 18, we're just going to read through the first 11 verses. Notice, Jesus, after having prayed in the upper room, he goes, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, which uh, the words that he spoke in chapters 13 through 17, which is quite a lot, after he had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and we visit this garden when we go to Israel. And if you join us, hopefully next year, we'll, we'll, we'll of course visit this place again. But which he and his disciples entered, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. And then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. And now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And then he asked them again, Who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. 
And of course, John puts in here as a little dialogue that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? And that's a a question, a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Jesus would take the cup of God's wrath, and we'll look at that. But let's go back in verse 1 now. Because notice, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples to this place, this place called Gethsemane. And the name Gethsemane means literally an olive press. It's an olive press, an oil press, where they would press olives. It's also the place where Jesus would be pressed beyond measure. Where Jesus would actually go um, sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, even though the air at that time of night, and we know that from as we get further into this, we know that it was cool that evening in the early spring. And yet, because of the agony and the pressure that was on him, and certainly the spiritual pressure that was upon him, knowing what was going to happen and not desiring it, not looking forward to it, but willing to lay down his life for us, to satisfy the Father, to offer his life in our place, a propitiation for our sins, that he would take that price. And as he sweat, as it were, it doesn't say great drops of blood, it could have happened. Hematohydrosis, I believe, is something that can happen where, uh, and I think that's the right term, uh, some of you doctors might know, but um, where his blood vessels and his uh, capillaries could burst open and he could actually uh, perspire blood. I mean, that is possible. But as he would be under great, intense spiritual warfare, they went to this place And we may never understand what really transpired there. You know, the gospel accounts give us this account of what happened there. And yet, let me suggest to you that the pain that Jesus endured on the cross was significant. I don't want to undermine that. It definitely was. It was a horrific death. But what Jesus experienced spiritually and what he would ultimately be separated from his father for a time, that God the Father would look down on his son and literally forsake him. He was forsaken on the cross. He had never experienced that ever before. I mean, that's, that's beyond our comprehension. Jesus has never, ever experienced that. And he never will again. But he experienced that on the cross. And that separation, to me, I can't imagine what that's like. Especially when you've never known it before. But this is the place that they resorted to. And notice in verse 2, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. We know that even before this Last Supper, that Judas had already made arrangements with the religious leaders to betray Jesus. In fact, it tells us that the very Satan himself indwelt Judas. The Satan indwelt him. It says that Satan entered him. Not a demon, not one of his minions, but the big guy himself. 
You know, I mean, think about that. I mean, being possessed by a demon is one thing, and that's horrible, and hopefully none of us have experienced that. Hopefully there's nobody here like that. But to have Satan himself indwell a man. There's only one other man that I know in history where that's going to happen to. It happened to Judas, and it's going to happen to a world leader yet on the, that's going to come on the scene the Antichrist. We call him the Antichrist. The world at that time will just know him as a, a wonderful political figure. We, the Bible identifies who he is. He's the Antichrist. But this plan had already been hatched by Judas. And so um, Judas was already making preparations for this. Uh, and remember, it, that's why Jesus said to Judas at the Passover meal, at that Last Supper, he says, What you do, do quickly. Jesus knew what was, what was happening behind the scenes. None of the other disciples knew. They were completely confounded, and they had no idea that Judas would even be capable of such a thing. But this verse also shows that this gospel account was written after the events had already occurred. Right? Because how could the gospel writer said, you know, Judas, who betrayed him? This account was written after the fact, and, 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 and it was compiled and, and put together at eyewitness accounts. An eyewitness. These are things that happened. So don't be afraid to read the Bible critically like that. Ask, it, ask questions of it. Look at it carefully and, and see. Discern the little nuances, the time frames, the vantage points of everyone. It's very important to do that. God doesn't expect you to put your, check your brain in at the door. Bring all of your faculties to the Word of God. He's not afraid. Neither should you. Right? Everybody smile. Yeah, it's good. It's good. But notice this word betrayed. Underline it because this word is something completely different than what you might think. Well, I mean, we know that betray is, you know, um, you know, betraying. We know what that means. But it literally means to deliver up, to yield up, to entrust. It literally means to give into the hands of another, to deliver up one to a custody, someone to be judged, someone to be condemned and punished, scourged, tormented, and even put to death. That is literally what this word means. And there is a difference between the word betrayal and denial. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus, and we're going to see in this same chapter that that uh, Peter denied Jesus. But betrayal and denial are two different things. They're both sinful, don't get me wrong. But one was a deliberate act, a premeditative act of hatred and treachery that Judas did by betraying Jesus. And the other one was just momentary cowardice like you and I could go through when we're at Wegmans. And we're standing there in line and somebody from church sees us and says, Hey, how you doing? Praise the Lord. And you're like... In a sense, we deny him when we do that. That's a whole different thing. That's a momentary decision of fear of whatever it is. There's a difference between denial and betrayal. When Judas betrayed him, he was a, it was a premeditative act of treachery and hatred. Don't let the movies, be careful of Christian movies, any Christian movie, because they can't accurately display everything that's in the Word. And the closer they get, the better it is. But when they start being creative, which I don't know if you know this, but people in Hollywood tend to do that, 
they get creative. They, they can't just take what the word of God says and, and go with it. They got to, you know, let's, let's add a woman involved. Let's, let's, let's mix it up a little bit, you know, and then we'll put a rated R, you know, thing on it, you know. And so they're always doing stuff. But Jesus was betrayed by Judas, but he was denied by Peter. Two different words, two different words. But notice that Jesus, Jesus often met there with his disciples. And why would Jesus meet them there often? Well, number one, it was quiet. Jerusalem at this time, at the time of the Passover, at a high Passover like this one was, and a, and a, and a mandatory feast that the men of Israel were to come, it was especially busy, very festive, a significant feast day. So it was quiet over there. And it is today. If you go there, it is a very nice place. I don't know exactly what it was like in Jesus' day, but you go there today and it is like a little haven. It's really wonderful there. And with the olive trees all around, it provided some shade, at least in the daytime. But these, they were there in the evening, in the wee hours of the morning, at night, or at night at least. But also being there, maybe Jesus could use this place as a spiritual visual aid for Jesus to minister to his disciples, to show them of the olive tree, and that you are the branches. Notice the fruit on the olive trees. That's what I've called you to be. I want you to bear fruit, and more fruit, and much fruit. And I'm the vine. You get all of your nourishment from me, and you are the branches. You're the, the witness of what I'm doing in your life. And, and these, this fruit is something tangible for people to see, and to taste, to see that it's good. They can actually tangibly see it. And see, that's what, it's very possible Maybe that's why Jesus resorted there. It was quiet. It was a, a great uh, idea for Jesus to use if he so chose to use it. But notice in verse 3, And then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they should have been the ones to have exalted Jesus and told everyone about him. But notice now, they are the instigators. They are the antagonists. And notice who they sent. They sent a detachment of troops and officers. They didn't come themselves. They had hired somebody else to do it. They were always good at telling people to do as I do, or do as I say, but don't do as I do. And notice <laughs> these, uh, these chief priests, the the, the, the term here literally means um, hyper, uh, let me see, hyperides, I think is the Greek for it. But basically what it means is an under-rower. Somebody who is an under-rower, somebody who is a, a subordinate to the temple police and the Romans. That's who these guys were. They were just under-rowers. Under and when he sent a, they sent a detachment of troops to them, this word in the, in the Greek is spira, which means a tenth part of a legion, which is somewhere between 200 and 600 men. Now think about this. There's Jesus and 11 men. Not 12, because Judas is on the other side now. He's on the, on the other side of the football team. <laughs> and here's Jesus with 11 men. And you got these couple hundreds of guys coming with torches and, and weapons. What did they expect? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Little did they know that all Jesus had to do, if he so chose, 
He could have called on a legion of angels and wouldn't even have had to lift his finger. They had no idea how great peril they were in, these soldiers, when they came against the Son of God. They came there with lanterns and lanterns and torches and weapons and when all of this happened. and We're going to look uh, next week, Lord willing, at the illegality, yes, the illegality of Jesus' arrest and trial. There were so many things wrong with this. According to the law of that day, there were so many things wrong with that. Does that happen today? It never really happens in America, does it? Where there's just um, you know, mock trials and it's just a, a kangaroo court. We don't really see that in America too much, do we? No. But the Jews probably wouldn't have arrested Jesus in the daytime. They waited until the undercover of evening when their dark deed would be accomplished. In fact, I love what Luke says in another another gospel, speaking of the same event, it says, Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, he says, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour. This is your hour and the power of darkness. That's what it was. And you know, Jesus willingly submitted to the purpose that God the Father had for him. He could have defended himself. The disciples could have been armed with AK-47s. They didn't need to be armed with anything. Just the word he could speak. And we're going to see that in just a moment, how powerful his word is. But notice in verse 4, it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, he went forward and he said to them, Who are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Notice that Jesus wasn't surprised by any of this. He was in complete control of what was happening. In fact, he was a willing participant because if it was, it was for this reason that he came to earth. And it tells us in John chapter 12, what does it say? He said, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. This was the purpose of Christ. It wasn't to be a martyr, to be some kind of church figure. No, much, much more than that. The Savior of the world. And this is the purpose he came. For the reason he came. In John chapter 10 it says, Therefore my Father loves me because I laid down my life. Notice it wasn't taken from him. It wouldn't be taken from him. He would willingly lay it down of himself. He says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. And even the Apostle Paul in Philippians, what did he say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a doulos, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, notice, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. No surprise to Jesus that this was happening. Little did those soldiers know that he was the one who was in control. So Jesus, you know, he says, he went forward, he said to them, whom are you seeking? Jesus knew who they were seeking. But I believe this was Jesus' way of making them accountable for what they were about to do. He knew why they were seeking him, but I don't think they really knew who they were seeking. They said, Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) And then he answered them, 
uh, they, they answered him, excuse me, verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. I want you to underline or circle a word. Circle that word he. Because that word he is in italics, which means that in the original... That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.